but she held the grudge with key information. The information includes a form for confidentiality and to record and date your ideas. <laughs> Paved with gold Lifted some stones Saw the skin and bones Of a city without a soul I stopped outside a church house Where the citizens like to sit They say they want the kingdom But they don't want God in it Yeah, I went with nothing Nothing but the thought of you I went wandering Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets Biblical Christianity face-to-face. -face. I'm Sean McCraney, your host. A spirit of violence and retaliation hung in the air of the Utah Territory as the Fancher Party left Cedar City very anxious to get away from the territory and onto ground that was going to be safe. As they headed south, the stake president by the name of Hate and his counselors, and his high, stake high council, and a bishop named Klingensmith and his counselors formed a prayer circle and raised the question on how to dispatch with the Fancher party. John D. Lee, who would in the end become the fall guy for the entire ugly mess, wrote that he took his marching orders from stake president Haight saying that they took some blankets and went over to the old ironworks and lay there all night so that they could talk in private. Lee went on to say that Haight told him it was, quote, the will of all in authority to arm the Indians and send them after the immigrants and have the Indians give them a brush, which means hurt them. And if they killed part or all of them, so much the better, end quote. According to LDS author Will Bagley, by the mid-1850s, the area known as Mountain Meadows was notorious among the Latter-day Saints as a preferred location to uh, carry out executions of unpleasant tasks. In other words, other deeds of violence had taken place there. One by one, the Fancher wagon trains pulled into Mountain Meadows on Sunday under a full moon. Unaware that lurking in the dark hills above them, John D. Lee had a group of LDS men looking on. Where the original plan was to attack the Fancher party a day's drive south from this uh, Mountain Meadows, Lee found the disorganized layout of their wagons at Mountain Meadows a sign that God had delivered them into his hands. There, in the moonlit darkness, writes Bagley, the Mormons stripped for battle and donned war paint to disguise themselves as Indians. Lee had also recru recruited the local natives to assist them in this attack. They quietly took the Fancher cattle and moved them out of a place that they were and put them down this gully. 
And then at the break of day on Monday, September 7th, Bagley writes that John D. Lee prepared to avenge the blood of the prophets. A number of men dressed as Indians crept up a dry creek bed and lay within yards of some of the immigrants. Then the first shot was fired. The first person killed at Mountain Meadows by the Mormons was a child. A surviving youth from the party wrote, quote, Our party was just sitting down to breakfast of quail and cottontail rabbits when a shot rang out from a nearby gully and one of the children toppled over, hit by the bullet. Ten to fifteen more people of the Fancher party were struck down in this first wave of the attack. As the immigrants rushed to get their weapons, a group of recruited Indians then launched a frontal attack with a screeching howls. But the immigrants were very good shots. They had their guns now, and they killed one Indian and wounded two others. This reprisal sent the attack, attacking Indians away in shock as they were confident that the Mormon power of magic would protect them. Their retreat allowed the immigrants to then go and get their wagons and move them away from the dry creek bed where they had been attacked and uh, form a defensive circle. Nancy Huff, a surviving child of the massacre, later recalled that after the initial attack, quote, other men dug a ditch around our camp and fortified the best they could. The women and children got in the ditches and were comparatively out of danger, end quote. The immigrants' skill at shooting their rifles so accurately brought an instant realization to the mind of the massacre leader, John D. Lee. He wrote, Now we knew the Indians could not do the work, and we were in a sad fix, end quote. Bagley added, quote, The battle had locked into a siege, a development the attackers apparently had not considered. The Paiute Indian leader later said that the immigrants had long guns and were good shots, and they were immediately dismayed and confused at seeing some of their men fall by the immigrant retaliation. So there we have it, the first attack on the Fancher party. But because the Fanchers were so resilient and able to defend themselves, the plan did not go as they had hoped. What could they do? Now I want you to think. What could they do at this point, the Mormons? They had already killed 10 to 15 of the Fancher party, and all of the Fancher party were believing at that point that it was Indians who did the job. The Mormons had an opportunity to stop everything right then and there, to go to a nearby river, wipe off their paint, and come to the rescue of the remaining Fancher train and be heroes. Why the need for more bloodshed, more suffering and terror inflicted on these people? Whatever your response is, their subsequent behavior reveals the heart of the LDS leadership then, and I would suggest now because nothing has changed in the doctrines that form their hearts. It was their religious beliefs and their willingness to blindly obey orders that allowed them to carry on this slaughter. Instead of allowing Christian mercy, remorse, or guilt to enter their consciousness, they wanted to finish the job 
and they spent five days in the hot southern Utah sun doing it. Five full days. I press this issue because these men were not just believers in Mormon doctrine. They were the most faithful Mormons in the area. They embraced an attitude toward life and living, toward revenge and retribution, toward shedding blood, which lies way outside the pale of Christian teachings. Don't ever forget this. Guards and snipers were staged around the area so the immigrants could not get to water. Then a call was sent out for more faithful LDS to come to the scene and help finish the job the Indians could not do. Many of the LDS men who engaged in the final decimation stated that they were not there when the attack began, but were called in to do their duty and to finish the job. A number of real Indians or the number of real Indians remaining on the scene remains a mystery. Some say it was just a few. Some say it was several hundred who want to pin it all on the Indians. Some say it was 40. Where the Mormons later painted the Indians participating in the massacre as crazed savages howling for blood, Bagley notes that the actions of the whites, the Mormons, shocked the Paiute Indians. He wrote, quote, By Indian standards, they, meaning the Mormons, made no sense. Why had their missionaries told them not to kill and steal, yet now they seem bent on killing every last American man, woman, and child. Why charge the immigrant fort again and again? Why not simply take the cattle and leave? This was in the mind of the Indians. I would suggest that what the Indians were witnessing was a living result of Joseph Smith's teachings. The paradoxical nature of Mormonism had revealed itself in full view right then and there in Mountain Meadows. It's the result of mixing Christian bromides, like we have to love everybody, we have to give, forgive everybody, with dogmatic legalisms authored by men and a cult-like demand for unquestioned loyalty to the brethren. It's a product of claiming to follow Jesus and his, uh, but to add greatly to his gospel. It's youth dances that occur today that end and begin with humble prayer and then blast ACDC and Snoop Dogg in between. It's what happens when religion becomes more important than our living relationship with Jesus and it manifests itself today when seemingly upstanding elders in the church end up bloodying another brother's nose at the church basketball game. None of this stuff has ever been part of biblical Christianity. Bagley writes, quote, the suffering of the doomed company defies imagining. The few details of the five-day siege recalled by the surviving children only begin to capture the horror of life inside the wagon fort. The smell of dead animals, Lee counted 60 head, and unburied corpses corrupted the late summer air. Fear, hunger, and thirst stalked the camp as the Arkansans waited for the next attack. Completely surrounded and cut off from the water of the spring, the immigrants kept up their courage, recalled Rebecca Dunlap, fighting like lions. But constant sniper fire pinned, them, pinned down their every move under that hot southern Utah sky, 
and it must have reminded them that every breath would probably be their last. On Tuesday night, Lee made one more attack as the immigrants uh, on the immigrants to try and make an end of it all, but it ended in more disaster uh, by creating more casualty among the Paiute warriors who were supposed to have been protected by the Mormon magic. Lee knew he and his fellow Mormons were in a giant mess. Council, LDS councils were called, prayers were said, and LDS leaders tried to heal wounds the Indians had with their magic oils and prayers, but to no avail. The Indians, blessed by their priesthood, all died. Soon, most natives retreated in dismay. Two days passed with the LDS leaders scampering about wondering what to do with the Fancher party while the women and children lay in the dust and tried to hide from sniper bullets. On Thursday morning, September 10th, Mormon militia commanders rang a bell at Cedar City to call out the rest of the Nauvoo Legion to arms. Bishop Smith later admitted that the general militia was called out, quote, for the purposes of committing acts of hostility against the immigrants, end quote. Bagley notes, However, that Bagley notes, however, that this was no general call up of the general militia, as Bishop Klingensmith states, but it was more of a call of known loyalness of the LDS church who were taken from the upper echelons of several companies, each, according to Bagley, having sworn the temple endowment oath to avenge the blood of the prophets. Upon arriving at a ranch just outside of Mountain Meadows Thursday night, these faithful LDS leaders gathered together for a priesthood council. So while beautiful little children lay petrified in the dirt for, their full four, for the fourth full straight day and the third full straight night, listening to their mothers cry over the death of their daddy or their brother or sister, LDS leader Higby opened this priesthood meeting with a prayer and invoked the Holy Spirit to be present with them. Higby then claimed that the only safe course was, quote, utter destruction of the whole rascally lot, that, quote, every one of them must be killed, except such as are too young to tell tales. And if the Indians cannot do it without help, the Mormons must help them, end quote. John D. Lee claimed that killing women and children would be shedding innocent blood. This caused Elder Higby to respond with some true rhetoric, which was aimed at rousing the other men to action. He said, listen to the, what this LDS leader said. Have not these people threatened to murder our leaders and prophet? And have not they boasted of murdering our patriarchs and prophets, Joseph and Hiram? Now talk about shedding innocent blood. Why, brethren, there is not a drop of innocent blood in that entire camp of Gentile outlaws. They are a set of cutthroats, robbers, and assassins who aided to shed the blood of our prophets Joseph and Hiram, and it is our orders from all in authority to get the immigrants from their stronghold and help the Indians kill them, end quote. The council then formed a prayer circle like the prayer circles they form in the temples today, and again invoke the Spirit of God to direct them in this manner. Now, LDS people are always stating that personal revelation is far superior 
to the biblical teachings that we find in the New Testament of Jesus Christ and other uh, uh, apostles. Here is a perfect illustration as to why this perspective is so entirely warped. What was the result of these men praying and invoking the Holy Spirit to come and tell them what to do? The council on the field voted that in the morning, which would be Friday, September 11th, a little before daylight, they would set to kill them all. Nephi Johnson reported that John D. Lee actually wanted to let the immigrants go at this point, but Lee accepted stake President Haight's orders to clean up the dirty job he had started. Lee wrote, quote, It was the wish of all the Mormon priesthood to have the thing done, believing that all Gentiles to be killed, that all the Gentiles were to be killed as a war measure, and that the Mormons, as God's chosen people, were to hold and inhabit the earth and rule and govern the globe, end quote. Listen to that mindset. They killed to satisfy the blood oath they had taken in the temple. They killed because they wanted to show the Gentiles not to mess with Utah, a sovereign territory. And they killed as God's chosen people who were in Lee's mind and everybody else's to inhabit and rule and govern over the globe. This, this idea has not changed. This claim and the actions that followed are consistent with everything the LDS believed then and, and what they continue at the top to believe today. In my opinion, we can expect this history to repeat itself in some manner someday. By Friday morning, less than two dozen men remained in the Fancher party to defend the circled wagons. Suddenly, the stopping that had kept the immigrants trapped in the dirt for five days stopped, and an eerie silence fell over the mountain meadows. The Mormon leaders now had a plan in place. They had to gain the immigrants' trust to decoy them, disarm them, and then kill them. All. Unbeknownst to the LDS leaders at the time, in a last-ditch effort to survive, the immigrants sent three of their strongest and much-needed men out into the desert night to find help somewhere. All of them were later tracked down and murdered in the desert. Lee spoke to his men, saying, Brethren, we have been sent here to perform a duty. It is a duty we owe to God and to our church and to our people. The order of those in authority are that all the immigrants must die. We must kill them all, and our orders are to get them out by treachery if no other thing can get them in our power. Lee then had a very difficult job, and that was getting the Fancher party to trust him. Bagley writes, quote, It was unimaginable to the Arkansans that the Mormons planned treachery on such a scale. The immigrants simply could not believe that professed Christians could execute such a diabolical scheme, end quote. There are several accounts of how the actual surrender occurred, but one of the more sobering ones comes up from the memory of a surviving Francher party child, Rebecca Dunlap, who recalled that when the Mormon wagons approached the camp in the silence and the sniping had stopped, the immigrants then quickly dressed her little sister, eight years old, in white, and sent her out to meet the wagons waving a white handkerchief. It took Lee two full hours to hammer out an agreement which, which included that the immigrants would put their arms in a wagon so as not to arouse the animosity of the Indians, and the Mormons would escort the Fancher party to safety. 
Lee later admitted that he knew he was doing a damnable deed, but, quote, his faith in the godliness of his leaders was convincing him that he was simply not worthy himself enough in this important part he was commanded to to perform. In other words, what he was saying is he knew that things were off. His conscience told him things were wrong, but he trusted in men more than his own conscience. As negotiations dragged on, a Daniel McFarland suddenly rode into the camp where the, all the immigrants were and where negotiations were happening and said, we need to get a move on quick because the Indians are going to renew their attack before we can get these people to safety. This put pressure on the Fanchers to agree to giving up their arms as several men said, we cannot give up our arms. It would be foolish. Some of the Fancher party were wary uh, of surrendering their arms, but because of the thirst and the fear and their children dying, they trusted in the Mormon men and they agreed. Lee divided the party into three groups and gave them marching orders. In the first wagons were the youngest, littlest children and some wounded men. In the second wagons were more wounded men, older children and the women in the second wagon, set of wagons. And in the third set of uh, men walking was uh, uh, all men. And the first two groups and their wagons were sent out and they were told, march out and you're gonna see a line of Mormon militiamen standing there for your protection. Walk out to them and walk past them. So the first group of little children in the wagons went past that group. And then the women and the uh, older children went past that group. And then the men uh, came to this um, uh, waiting line of Mormon militia men and the militiamen sided up one with each Fancher man and began to march. This caused the Fancher men to cheer as soldiers as they thought the Mormons were acting honestly. Bagley notes, listen, None of the men in the Mormon guard ever described their feelings as they received the cheers from the Arkansas men and escorted them up the field. None of them ever described what it was like to accept the trust of men who would, they would soon murder in cold blood. As the children's wagon pulled further away, Mormon John Higby marched the men to a smooth open space at the side of the road and shouted, Halt! The Mormons stopped, the Fancher men stopped, and Higby shouted, Do your duty! or possibly, according to Bagley, do your duty to Israel. The Mormons shot each male in the Fancher party dead. Bishop Klingon Smith is the only one who ever admitted to participating in this part of the killing. When asked if he hit his men, he replied, of course I did. One of the men looking down the knife of LDS leader Higby is quoted as saying, Higby, I wouldn't do this to you which implies that he knew who Higby was and he was probably one of the backouts that we talked about last week. Higby replied, you would have done the same to me or just as bad, and he slit the man's throat from ear to ear. Women and men, with all the men now dead, the attack was then opened upon the wounded men in the wagons, the women, and the children. It was here that the call to attack was made to the Indians, real Indians and the Mormons dressed like Indians, and they came out of the brush like wild savages. Bagley reports every part of the field of attack witnessed its own special horrors. Four-year-old survivor Nancy Huff reported that, quote, I saw my mother shot in the forehead and fall dead. The women and children screamed and clung together. Some of the young women begged the assassins not to kill them, but they had no mercy on them, clubbing their guns and beating out their brains, end quote. 
Other children gave just as horrific accounts. One spoke of watching the Indian slay a baby in his mother's arms and then turn the knives on the mother. Another boy, Emberson Tackett, recall, uh, recalled offering his little new coat to a man in exchange for his life. It must have worked. Many witnesses, according to Bagley, said over and over again as women and children would wrap their arms around the legs of their attackers, begging for their lives, they would have their head pulled back, their throats slashed from ear to ear, part of the LDS temple ceremony all the way up until the 1980s. Lust, bloodlust seemed to consume most of the uh, participants, causing them to hew down as many people as they could find in one go. One bloodthirsty maniac was Mormon faithful William Stewart. Bagley cites an account that tells of Stewart ordering a lad to kill a woman who was recovering from unconsciousness. The boy refused and Stewart drove a bowie knife to the hilt of her body as she stood to her feet. As years passed, Stewart was said to boast how he, quote, took the damn Gentile babies by the heels and cracked their skulls over wagon tires. Another Mormon murderer, George Adair, when drunk, would, quote, laugh and attempt to imitate the pitiful crushing sounds of the skull bones as they struck the iron bands of the wagon hubs. When a man named H.L. Halleck passed through Utah in December of 1858, Paiute Indians reported to him that Bishop John D. Lee was, quote, like a wild beast who had just tasted fresh blood, that he, quote, was turned into a demon. Let me remind you, these heinous acts are the result of doctrine made by men, of obedience made to men, of a religion focused on men by men. When the massacre was over, Nancy Huff, who was a child, reported that Bagley reported what Bagley called a sadistic ritual, the execution of a final young girl in view of all the surviving children. Said Huff, quote, at the close of the massacre, there was 18 children still alive. One girl, some 10 or 12 years old, they said was too big and could tell. So they killed her, leaving 17. When the work was done, John D. Lee instructed Samuel Knight to take his wagon off the road and dump the butchered bodies out. He did. When the bodies lay strewn over the land, Mormon leader Higby directed the men to search the dead for their valuables. It is believed that the bodies were left there when they died and then were stripped of all their clothing by the Indian women in time and then torn apart by animals scattering their bones all across the area. The Mormon commanders assembled back on a local field and addressed their men. Lee said Higby and Bishop Klingenspeth made speeches and ordered the people to, to keep the matter secret from the entire world, not to tell their wives or their most intimate friends. Lee added, we pledge ourselves to keep everything related to the fair a secret during life and to always insist that the massacre was committed by the Indians alone. Bagley notes the once surviving children were moved to uh, a, that once surviving children were moved to a nearby ranch. They consistently reported seeing the Mormons shed their war paint. While playing marbles a few years later Josiah, with Josiah Gibbs in 1859, little Christopher Carson Fancher cocked his head to the side and said, my dad was killed by Indians. When they washed their faces, they were white men. Before going to the phones, we want to conclude tonight's program with a brief memorial to those we know were part of the Fancher-Baker party. Um, 
We apologize for any names we may have missed. May their brutal murders serve as a constant reminder to Mormon people everywhere that their non-Christian doctrines and practices cause these deaths. And not one of those doctrines have been officially changed yet. Let's show the clip. We're going to continue on next uh, week and just follow up and conclude our study of the Mountain, Mormon Mountain Meadows Massacre. I want you to know that the LDS Church has never apologized for uh, their members' participation in it or how the leadership in the church uh, led it. They have said they were sorry the event took place, and we'll follow up on how they've handled it over the years and what was the result of John D. Lee and some of those others who participated. Uh, as we wait for the operators to uh, clear your calls, 801-973-8820, 801-973-TV20. Uh, as our um, ministry grows, especially as getting more and more uh, viewed on the Internet and by people around the world, rumors pop up. And so I thought I would just take time right now and address some of those rumors. The first rumor is that our financial support from Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa has ceased. This is simply not true. Nothing has changed. It has not altered at all. They stand behind us as much now as they always have. Uh, we receive missional funding from them every single month to help pay for my flights. That has not changed. There's also a rumor that I own uh, exotic condominiums and property all over the place, that I stay in luxury hotels or any hotels while here in Salt Lake City, while dining on expensive restaurants, which keeps my weight up, and living high on the hog. Uh, this is not true either. None of it. 
period. Let me tell you something. Even if I had the means, my family will verify this, which I don't. But if I did, it's not my nature to live high on the hog. I uh, strive to avoid materialism if possible, and I find it mundane in many ways. So I'm not impressed, and that's just not true. There's also a rumor that the evangelical party, uh, the evangelical community hates us. Uh, this is partially true. Uh, with, uh, but only with those who have not taken the time to understand us. Most people who have watched the show, who have read our statements of faith, who have watched more than five shows, uh, will quickly dismiss the evangelical complaints against our ministry. Uh, those who haven't, are you, those who continue to attack us who are evangelicals are usually short on facts or they're mentally ill, so we won't worry about it. There, there's also a closet rumor, uh, that, there's also a rumor that I'm a closet homosexual. And uh, it, it's not true, not that it really matters, uh, you know, uh, but my, my sexual temptations begin and end with women. So, um, which is just as sinful, by the way. Uh, but the ministry does love and embrace and receive homosexuals just like we love and embrace and receive all peoples of all walks and all faiths and all uh, places in life to help share the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are rumors, uh, ugly rumors, that we have long sought to make Mormonism part of the body of Christ, that we are syncretists, it's a big word they use, and that we're trying to legitimize Mormonism as an authentic form of Christianity, not true in any way, shape, or form. Uh, I mean, just watch the program. Uh, we do hope, however, to see the LDS Church uh, someday become part of the body of Christ, but only after they have changed uh, some of their errant doctors, on, uh, doctrines, only after they have renounced some of their errant practices and openly admitted and apologized for much of their history. We still maintain there are plenty of Mormon people, however, who are in fine standing with the Lord by virtue of their faith in Him. In fact, let me restate that the religion a person chooses to be involved with has um, always been secondary in our minds and at least uh, to the relationship they have with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let me give you an example. I personally would never become involved in a highly charismatic Pentecostal uh, church just because that's not what, how I'm cut out. It's just not for me. However, I would support those people who do. I love and support them and talk with them and, and they're my friends. I would probably never become Catholic because it is so religious, uh, but I'm very supportive of those who are Catholic and love uh, Jesus with all their heart. So since I personally, or since our ministry personally finds most sectarian religions uh, uh, lacking in some manner, we're, we would never say that there are that every single member of the Mormon church is lacking in a relationship with Jesus Christ. We've always maintained maintain that. And so sometimes we'll have people who will call the show very upset and they'll say, my, my mother died and she, she loved the Lord, but she was Mormon and they're all upset. And we say, you know, trust the Lord. You know, it, and we know there are different Jesus. We talk about all the doctrinal differences. But, you know, we believe that, that the gospel of Jesus Christ is in people and that they have received him by spiritual rebirth. And that can happen while they're in transition out, while they're wondering, maybe even while they're staying in an errant religion in trying to appease family members. Only God is the judge of that. Makes sense. Finally, there's a rumor that I was never a faithful Latter-day Saint while I was in the church. 
The picture being painted, which has grown in scope and vitriol, was that I was on the fringe and unaccepted and never truly a member in good standing. And this is just not so. Uh, ask any honest person from my ward or stake. Um, did I struggle with Mormon uh, doctrines and histories while a member of the church? Absolutely. But I supported it. And I would suggest that if you, ha if you meet somebody who's a Mormon and has never struggled with the doctrines or history, that you can't trust them at all. Um, but not only was I active, I was called to leadership positions by the leaders who are still in the church uh, by virtue of my activity and allegiance uh, because I was respected due to the fact that we did participate and were active. So let's uh, just let that one drop off the face. The mic clock is not on, so I can't tell who, uh, what lines are open. Uh, can someone switch that thing on? What line's available? Line two. We're going to line two. Daniel, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. Uh, I'd like to make two comments. Hold, hold on one uh, second, Daniel. Speak a little bit louder. Okay, I'm like, I'd like to make two comments. Okay. Uh, the first one's a quote by a French writer named Voltaire. He says, uh, those who can make you believe uh, absurdities can make you commit atrocities. Huh. Uh, I think that that kind of falls into the Mountain Meadows uh, thing. And another thing is, when I con uh, talk to people about Mountain Meadows, LDS uh, people, it's a complete denial um, over and over. Uh, it never, they never get down to saying, yes, okay, it happened, uh, we're sorry. It, it's always this, this very strong denial. Um, even a bishop, his wife had some family that participated in it, and because of her research, he said that... Uh, you know, it, it, it never happened. Wow. I, never I happened. Well, I categorize that with Holocaust denial. Yeah. Um, the evidence is there. The facts are there. We can, we can look at all these facts, and it always points to the same direction. Yeah. Um, if Brigham Young said kill them or not, it's arguable, but his doctrine of blood atonement, in my opinion, in a sense, did say kill these, kill these people. Absolutely. Um, and, he and, he and set the stage that, completely. He put all the props on the stage. He got the lighting done. He, had, he sold tickets. And then he said, uh, put on a play. And, yeah. and they did. Yeah. It, it, one thing that you see that, that no one wants to look at is the blood atonement doctrine. I, I don't understand why that's so hard for people to see. Um, we, we met Salt Lake uh, at the taco time, which shows you you don't eat at uh, extravagant restaurants. Um, in January, I don't know if you remember, um, but but either way, the blood atonement thing really gets me. Yeah. People really try to shy away from that, and it's just it's absurd. But um, well, good call, I, Daniel. I really appreciate it. Sure, well, I would say that. Thanks, way, my thanks. friend. Okay, bye bye. Listen, uh, and Daniel brings up a good point. You know, we've done this is our fourth week, I think, in talking about Mountain Meadows. And we don't get calls. We know LDS watch. I mean, we know you watch. But you don't call and talk about this. You will not address this because the evidence is all there. You won't address, you know, many things that are, that are Mormon. All you'll do is call and say, we are Christian. I mean, you'll, or if I make a mistake, which I do, you'll, you'll jump on that. 
but you never call and comment about the reasoning or, or something behind like Mountain Meadows or blood atonement or polygamy or Joseph's wives and not telling his wife and, and all the things we've covered. You never ever talk about those things. All you do is call and say, we are Christian or we believe in grace or some other thing like that. So please, if you're LDS, pick up the phone. No one's going to know. You know, they don't have a spotlight on you. Pick up the phone and just talk to me. Tell me what's going on. All right, we're going to Erica and Smithfield on line three. Erica, you're on Heart of the Matter. Erica? Uh-huh. You're on the air. Hello. Hi, Erica. you got to turn your TV down. Uh-oh. Okay. Is that good? I don't know. Can you hear me? Yeah. All right, I'm talking to you, and you're on the air. Okay, Sean. Yes. I don't know what's with the Indian getup. It's kind of mocking whatever you're doing. Well, be Christian. What's that? Isn't there isn't there scriptures you can be talking about that um, say something about breeding contention? Well, actually, this is a visual representation of Mormons on one part of them presenting the goodness, and the other side showing the savagery that they perpetrated at Mountain Meadows. I don't wear this every week, so, well, thank you for Right, right. You've come a long way in your shows that I've watched over the years. Yeah. So what's the problem? Sean, keep yeah. it Christian. What? You're, keep it Christian. You're, you're breeding contention. You're bashing the church. The, the massacre is not happening today. Let's move on. Yeah, have you ever, would you, would you ever say that to a Jew about the Holocaust? You know, what happened, happened. If they're not practicing it right now, let's move on. They're not practicing Isn't it right really now. what Christ would like us to do? What Christ would like us to do. That, that you're telling me that I need to spend my show solely on the Bible, which you could sit and say, we agree with that, we agree with that. When I bring up things that are contrary, that show you what your doctrine has done, you say that it's bringing contention, and I need to let that go. But why are you? Why are we dwelling on that? Well, it's isn't your show supposed to be to to invoke the spirit of Christ? Okay, where first of all, where do you read that as far as the description of our show? The the description of the show is where Mormonism meets biblical Christianity face to face. Tonight, I pointed out that they had a choice over a five-day period of time to turn from their murderous activities and save those people. The Christian Bible would take any person who's a Christian would look at that Bible and say, you know, we're doing something wrong here. We got to change our course and pay the consequences. Never did they change their course. Why? Because they would rather protect the church and the leaders and the authority who were behind the whole thing than God. They would rather represent the church and these men than God and what he tells you to do. That is how Mormonism meets biblical Christianity face to face. So are you wanting the Mormons today to pay the price for what the Mormons back then did? I want them to apologize and I want them to change the doctrines. I want them to, they have never apologized. Never. So sorry, you got that one wrong. Sean, yes. those people aren't still here to apologize to you. The religion that authored the massacre has never apologized. The religion has people within it, does it not? What? Sean. Will you stop saying my name like that? It sounds like my mom, and it's ticking me off. 
be a Christian. Uh, be that a be, Christian. That would be what Christ would like you to do. Be you a know, Christian. what you're doing, let me tell you what you're doing here, is you're using Jesus' name to get what you want. And this is what I Mormons do. I don't want do. anything, Sean. You, you just, you're giving me all kinds of uh, suggestions. You do want something. You say, be I a don't. Christian. This is what Jesus would want. He wants me to put on blinders, put on earmuffs, put a piece of tape no, over my mouth, no. and look to the prophet. Is that what he wants? But I think you're just trying to breed contention. Well, you made that point. Do you have another one? That, that's my point, Sean. You claim What's your name? Christian. Oh. Christian is not to breed contention. Uh, have you read correct? in the scripture where it says, contend earnestly for the faith? Contend earnestly for the faith? Earnestly. Contend. <laughs> God, you are a Mormon. The Mormons at the massacre are not here today, correct? The Mountain Meadows Massacre is going to be here again, in my opinion. In yeah. some way, shape, or form. I'm just Let's warning my not. Christian brothers and sisters to beware of trusting in a group that says we're going to help you and join forces with them and watch them turn and kill them along the roadside. We will see Let's it happen not, again Sean. because the doctrines are always, they're the same doctrines. Nothing's changed. Just your ability to politically move about in this world now has changed. But your doctrines remain, that means the spirit of those doctrines remains in the hearts of the LDS people. I would suggest that there are Mormons today who would take people they would felt were a danger to their faith and kill them. That is the spirit well, I, that was at Mountain think Meadows. I sad, Sean, that you can't let Mormons be Mormons no. under that label. No. Because all Mormons don't do the exact same thing. Is that not correct? Mormons claim they're so Christians. So be careful how you label the religion no, and the people that are within it. Wait, Mormons say they are Christians. Okay? That comes from the top. That comes in the newspaper and their conferences. Right. So right. when they step into our arena, they're going to have a battle. You think we should just sit back and just say, well, you say you're Christian. Come on in. Join the party. It's never been that way. Jesus said you're going to lose your life for this stuff. You're going to separate families. Fathers and husbands and sons and daughters will go against each other for my sake. Do you get that? Or do you just think it should all be, let's just all get along? Do you? Wow. Why what? Why the hostility? Because you're making me mad. That's why okay. the hostility. I'm sorry, Sean. That's not my intention. I'll hang up. Okay, you hang Good up. Thank you. you. Okay, Erica, bye. Besides, I'm an Indian tonight. I can be a little angry. Uh, by the way, I am part Indian, so there's no disrespect to the Indian uh, people. All right, we are going to uh, Paul in Salt Lake City, first-time caller. Paul, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. I had uh, two questions. Okay, speak uh, up. I'm sorry. Talk loud, please. Okay, I had two questions. One, um... Um, regarding the Mountain Meadows, I read uh, a book that said that uh, the settlers who came through put poison in a river and killed cattle of Indians. Yeah, the first, account, was, the, the first account of that, Paul, came 15 years after the massacre. And so they, uh, Bagley believes that that was conjured up as a way to excuse the murders. What about Juanita Brooks? Did Same. She, 
Juanita Brooks, I believe, uh, uh, comes to the same conclusion about the uh, Corn Creek uh, uh, poisoning of the water and the cattle there that killed the Indians. So that was made, basically made up? Yeah. yeah. Okay. And also, on a different matter, I uh, struggled with my re uh, Mormonism about a, since a year ago. This is one of the things, plus uh, the do Doctrine and Covenants, I just started questioning, and uh, your show was helped by, you know, I don't, don't go in looking to disprove or prove your uh, thoughts. It's to disprove them. Right. And what happens is it doesn't, it just proves yours. Man, it's basically I'm struggling. I want to get out. I've had this through religion. I basically wondered how you came, received your moment where you were driving and you stopped on the side of the road and realized, and the consequences. Let me, uh, let me send, let me, stay on the line, let the, let's let the operator get your address and we'll send you the book and it tells you the whole thing. And uh, that, maybe that will help and then maybe we could talk through email or meet someday. Okay, that, I appreciate that, thank you. Stay on the line, please. Okay. Okay, thanks. I don't hold. Uh, can someone pick up line one? We're going to Elijah on line two from Boise. Elijah, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean. Hi, Elijah. Hey, I just wanted to mention I noticed a lot of parallels and similarities between Islam um, and Mormonism as far as uh, that revenge, vengeance, uh, dangerous beliefs there. Absolutely. Um, and I also wanted to mention uh, a lot of those, uh, like Nelson was saying, uh, rituals and stuff they they do uh seems uh very masonic to me um i just wanted to know your opinion on that and if you see the parallels between mormonism and islam and the ritualistic um paganist type um similarities between mormonism and uh masonism thank you okay elijah thanks for the call you want me to answer you want me to answer offline huh you want me to answer while you're on the phone uh, yeah, sure. Okay. Uh, first of all, as in terms of uh, Islam, the parallels are deep. Um, they're all legalistic. They, um, they uh, have a, uh, a lot of codes relative to living and lifestyle, um, which make you worthy or right before God. Endless lists of things you must do and must not do. The allegiance to the organization is big. And the violence uh, within Islam is definitely provable, as it is within Mormonism. So those parallels off the top of my head are there. Uh, another re thing in the Quran... Um, Muhammad wrote that it is, in the introduction, you can see it says, this is the most correct book on the face of the earth. And the Mormons say the Book of Mormon is the most correct book on the face of the earth. So the parallels are there. I believe someday Islam and Mormonism is going to join hands somehow. I really, truly do. Uh, second thing about Masonry and Mormonism, if you go back to our shows in 2006 and 2007, the parallels are unbelievable. Get Duncan's book of Freemasonry. It's a little book. It will cost you about five, seven bucks at a Barnes and Noble or Amazon. And just if you've uh, go through and you read that 
and the parallels to Mormonism's uh, rituals in the temple and what masonry was back in the 1800s are unbelievable. So absolutely those rituals came from Freemasonry, which too was a wow. violent organization. Thank you for the information. All right, Eli, thanks for calling. Thank you. God bless. God bless you. Bye-bye. We're going to Miguel in West Valley City. Miguel, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, how you doing, Sean? Doing well. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Hey, I just wanted to tell you, I got a friend that lives down in St. George, and it's no big secret what's going down, what's, you know, about the, the Mountain Meadow Massacres. And also, I rented this movie called September Dawn, and for like the first two or three days that I, that I talked about it to, to friends, all I could do was cry. It was, it's such a, I mean, I, I couldn't believe that they killed women and children as they were running from them. It was, yeah. it was just a terrible, terrible, terrible scene. So I highly recommend the movie. Uh, to people to watch it and, and okay. see what they get out of it, but yeah. Okay, thanks, Miguel. Yeah, I, I saw September Dawn uh, in the theater. Amazingly enough, it played here. And um, I, I remember there's a few things on there that aren't so correct. And I remember Sandra Tanner at utlm.org telling me that there was a couple things in there she thought uh, were off. But otherwise, yeah, it was a pretty, uh, pretty interesting movie, and it did show a lot of things that... Uh, uh, I wasn't aware of, and, and many other people weren't too. So if you can rent it, you can rent it in a video store now? Yeah, you can. I, I rented it a couple, uh, I've seen it in a couple different places. One more thing I want to tell you, Sean, talking about movies. I don't really recommend this movie. It's pretty violent, but there's a movie called From Hell. It's the story of Jack the Ripper. And in that movie, they show um, uh, them doing pra mason practices wow. that are just like in the temple, where they slice their throat and they, they cut their bowels. Yeah. And I was shocked because it was Mason. <laughs> All know? Masons. Same yeah. stuff. All right. Thanks so much, Miguel. All right. God bless, man. God bless you. Bye-bye. Bye. You know, just ask yourself, what, what, what are the differences between the Mormons that were here under Brigham Young and the LDS people today? We could say culture. We could say the LDS church today is more affluent. We could, we could say... Maybe they, they are striving more to be more Christian and not so separatist. But in the end, there is no difference in the belief system. And this is what's important for you to understand. The doctrines and belief systems are equal. Therefore, the same beliefs, the, the thing that produces the responses that you had at Mountain Meadows and here in the Utah Territory and the violence and the secrecy and the standing up for the church and the brethren at all costs continues to abide in the hearts of faithful Mormons today. There's no difference between those two. And so you have to, this is why we examine, as that caller from Smithfield wanted to know, why are you doing this? We want to show that nothing's changed. And they have just moved on as though it was their right to take these 120 lives and leave their blood and bones and everything else there and to move on. And you just, you know, don't bother us about that. That's not fair, you know? Okay, so uh, we're going to line three. Uh, all lines blinking. I have line two. No? No, no lines? No. we got four lines. All right, let me see here. Uh, please note that on July 11th, 7-11 in Logan, Utah, we're going to have our annual open water baptism. 
and we're going to give you more information on that. It's a beautiful setting there, Riverside, uh, and a beautiful river. We have this spot that we did it last year. Everybody's welcome. Uh, you can be baptized by anybody. If you want to bring your pastor to baptize you or, or whoever, that's fine with us. But it's an open water, heart of the matter baptism. We invite you to attend. We'll give you more information at www.hotm.tv. That's where you can watch the uh, shows, archives, etc. We're going to Shirlene in Honeyville uh, on line two. Shirlene, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hello. Hello. Yes, um, I have a question for you. Yes, Shirlene. Um, it's funny, watching on the television, you're talking, but you're not talking to me. <laughs> yeah, don't watch the television. <laughs> is this Sean? It is. Okay. Um, it seems to me that... Uh, the Israelites did the same thing, went into na other countries, nations, whatever they were called at that time, and killed every man, woman, and child, and even the animals. How is that justified? Well, a couple things. First of all, the, the people who uh, Israel came in and slaughtered, they uh, would do things like sacrifice their babies to Molech, and um, they were heathen paganistic people and God said you are my chosen people I want you to go in and wipe them all out because they are all uh, uh, they've all been degraded by the practices that they've incorporated into their lives now what justifies it I don't know except God telling them to do it but here's the difference and it's very it's a very important difference Jesus came and he brought and he suffered for the sin of the world and he brought peace and forgiveness and mercy and kindness. And post Jesus, he says the work is finished, I've done it, believe in me. Post Jesus, the Mormons have reenacted some of the same barbaric acts that they read about or in the Old Testament or they thought were uh, justified by virtue of their doctrines. So there's a major difference in that the LDS, yes, if they're an Old Testament religion, that's one thing. But if they say they believe in Jesus Christ, all you got to do is read his teachings and you'll see nothing they did. Nothing was justified. Does that help? Yes, that, that is very true. Now, I know one time you said that his name was not Jesus. Is it Yeshua? Uh, yeah, Yeshua. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I know that um, names have very significant things, and so maybe we should refer to him as Yeshua, which I will. Yeah. And I know that he did come to teach us about our Father in Heaven. Yes. Which is certainly not what was being taught at that time to be fearful of God and God was an angry, jealous, and um, revengeful God. Um, of course, the old... We've lost you. I do have a problem with that Old Testament God, but yes, Yahshua had a, a wonderful relationship with the God that I believe in and... Uh, have a hard time God that says, do not lie, do not steal, do not... Shirlene, well, we are, do that. Shirlene, I'm losing you on the call. We have 39 seconds left. But please, yes. e please email me or call the station tomorrow and see if we can talk, because I'd like to talk to you about uh, the God of the Old Testament and His wrath and the God of the New Testament and His love and peace and how those actually work together still today. 
So I'm sorry I got to let you go. We'll talk again. Listen, tune in next week. We're going to answer, uh, we're going to give how the LDS have responded, what they did with John D. Lee, and uh, how they've erected a monument uh, since uh, to the, and what Gordon B. Hinckley said, that absolutely unbelievable comment Gordon B. Hinckley gave in response to Mountain Meadows. We'll talk to you next week here on Heart of the Matter. my rusty cage and run I'm gonna break I'm gonna break my gonna break my rusty cage and run I'm gonna break I'm gonna break my gonna break my rusty cage and run I'm gonna break I'm gonna break my Gonna break my rusty cage